I've been scented enough. I've been uh, reviled and rebuked three of the last four weeks. Okay, I'm really jazzed about, uh, I'm usually pretty jazzed anyway, but I'm pretty jazzed about John 14, 15 to 21. It's very special to me. It's very personal to me. One day, many years ago, God used this text to fundamentally change me uh, from that point forward. Um, you know, you come to those do-or-die moments in your life. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's make or break, and you find out who you really are and what you really believe and who you're going to be from that point forward. It was one of those days for me, and uh, God was so gracious. I had a close encounter of the divine kind in His Word. Um, suddenly, I was faced with... Uh, I found my, myself in the midst of a test of faith, okay, unexpectedly. And if I did the right thing... The thing I knew I should do, uh, I had no idea what the consequences would be. And uh, I had some real fear about that. Have you, you guys been there? You know what that's real fear if you obey? Um, and I, I had that. And it's a lot like the disciples. We know that John 14, this is the night before the cross. We know Jesus will be uh, nailed to the tree in less than 24 hours. These guys, their world is about to be turned upside down. They're about to move into a time of great turmoil and upheaval. And there's real fear in these men's hearts and minds. And while my situation wasn't near as dire as theirs, nevertheless, and I bet many of you can relate to this, it was a situation that brought me face to face with faith and obedience in God. As all good tests of faith should, right? I've shared some of this with you before and I hesitate to share it with you again, except that I can't preach this text without sharing it with you because this text is, is what got me through um, that test. I, I, I've been teaching, preaching, and lecturing on the Bible for 20 years, and I've never pre preached or taught this text. So this is a great privilege for me to be able to do it. Um, as most of you know, I was in business for 20 years. Uh, before I went to seminary, I was a financial manager. I was in charge of our company's, all the financial affairs of our company. And my boss at this particular time was a really bad guy. Okay? He was nice on the surface, but at the core, he was really a bad guy. And one day, uh, he instructed me to do something that he, he and I both knew was, was illegal. And the great thing was, in God's providence, I didn't have to give him an immediate answer. I got to go, you know, I got to leave and go to lunch, right? So that was a gift from God right there. So I did what I always do at lunch. At that time in my life, I was in a thing called Bible Study Fellowship, and I would always go buy me a fast food burger and go park under a shade tree, and I'd do my Bible Study Fellowship lesson. And so I had a great interest in my Bible Study Fellowship lesson that day because I was asking God to give me the courage to be a man, to be a godly man, to be a man, the kind of man that God wanted me to be. Because I'll be honest with you, I was afraid. Satan and my own cowardice was conspiring against me. I had a stay-at-home wife, two kids, a dog, a cat, and two finches to support, okay? And, and, and Satan was telling me, you can't lose your job. You can't obey God. And all that was welling up in me. Anybody ever had an experience like this? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. So I was doing my lesson and praying that God would, would give me what I needed. And the Lord took me to John 14, 15 to 21. 
And I'm sitting there under that tree eating my McDonald's cheeseburger, and God shows up. I bet some of you have had that experience too. And He's speaking to me from His Word, and He unapologetically challenged me to believe Him, to trust Him, and yes, you know the rest, to obey Him. This was an unforgettably personable, uh, personal and, and intimate time for me with God. He came to me, and He gave me what I needed that day, and He changed me from that day forward to this. I'm different because of that day. He overhauled completely my thinking about obedience. Completely. I used to think I should obey because I should obey. Or I ought to obey. Or it's right to obey. All those things are, are right, but that's not the preeminent reason for the Christian to obey God. And we're going we're gonna to look at that uh, tonight as we look at this text. As I've mentioned to you, uh, some have called John 14 the 23rd Psalm of the New Testament. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? I shall not want. The Hebrew says, I shall not lack. And then it says, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And John 14, in John 14, Jesus is challenging his 11 remaining disciples to believe that about him that he is their good shepherd and that he will be with them and that his goodness and loving kindness will follow them through these trying days that are ahead. And Jesus is saying this to you and I when it gets hard, believe me. When it gets hard, Trust me. You remember what we talked about a couple of weeks ago? Isaiah 51.12. I'm stuck on this verse. I love it. God says, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Then he says this. Who are you that you should be afraid? Right? He's saying you belong to me. I'm God. Who are you to be afraid when you have my promise? Right? Don't you love that? Don't you love the, the freedom we have as Christians? And that's what, that's what uh, John 14 is saying. God's, it's God's promise to us. And He says, remember what He said over in verse 1? Let not your heart be troubled. Next time your heart is troubled, I want you to go to John 14. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Surely I am God. Surely you are mine. Surely you belong to me. Surely I am with you. Surely I will provide all that you need. I am your good shepherd. I love what David writes in Psalm 103.14. He says, God knows our frame. You know this verse? He is mindful that we are but dust. God knows on our very best, most confident day, we're very needy. We're very needy. God knows that about us. And He says, I am your shepherd. You shall not lack what you need. Do you believe it? <laughs> Do we believe it? And tonight, uh, we're, going to see some, we're going to see a continuation of these staggering promises and even some new ones that uh, will blow your mind if you think deeply about them. So let's get into verse 15 here. If you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. Jesus doesn't say if you love me, you'll sometimes go to church or you'll be a religious guy or you'll have some warm, fuzzy feelings about me at Christmas. He says if you love me, you will do what I say. That's not very hard, is it? I mean, that's just plain. That's Christianity. Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what I say. And we know we don't all do it perfectly, but that'll be the drive and the motivation 
the drive and the motivation of our life. I want you to get this. This is true. If, you, if you're a Bible student, if you read your Bible, you will always see that this is true. Obedience is always the biblical test of love for God. Obedience is always the biblical test of love for God. Listen to how Jesus... Listen, listen to what Jesus says about His obedience to the Father. John 15.10 If you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love. Just as I have kept My Father's commandments and abide in His love. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He says, that's how I do it. That's how I love the Father. And I expect you to do the same thing. That's how you're to love God. That's the biblical test of love for God is oh. Obedience. The women just completed a, a study of 1 John. You remember 1 John 5, 3, ladies? And it said, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. Right? That we keep His commandments. Obedience is not a real popular concept in the world. Right? Many people chafe at authority. They're loath to submit to authority. Most of the world sees obedience in a, in a restrictive sense, but God's view is the polar opposite of that. Remember what we learned in John 8, 31, 32? Jesus said, if you live in my word, what? You are mine. You're truly my disciples. And what? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? It'll make you free. Obedience is freedom. Obedience is freedom. The world doesn't see it like that, but that's what God says. And friends, this is, this is hugely important for us. It's, it's, we need to see this. We need to get this. I want you to hear what Jesus is saying. In the midst of an extremely excruciating trial that's in front of His disciples, Jesus simply tells His men, believe Me and obey. He tells them a lot of other things. But He says, obey Me. Obey Me in this trial. And it's important that we understand this. Yes, we need to obey Him all the time, but, but particularly in the storms of life. Because we'll find ourselves standing on the rock. You remember the uh, parable that Jesus taught over in Matthew chapter 7? You remember this is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, Everyone who hears my words and acts on them is like a wise man who builds his house upon what? A rock. And then he says, Everyone who hears my words and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who has built his house on the sand. Jesus says, when the trial comes, when the turmoil comes, when the upheaval comes, He says, obey Me. If you can't do anything else, just obey Me. And you will find yourself standing on a rock. Okay? I want to challenge you to do this. I want, I want to challenge you to do this. That's one of the awesome things God taught me as I was sitting under that shade tree, my little Datsun 310. Remember Datsuns? Remember when it was called a Datsun? A Datsun 310 hatchback. Brown. It was the ugliest car that any man ever made. But uh, I got good gas mileage. But I was sitting there, and this is one of the things God taught me. And He says, Jim, I'm the rock. Believe me. You go back and you obey me. I am the rock. The second thing He challenged me with from that verse, I don't have to tell you. You already know what it is. He says, do you love me? Do you love me? It's like, it's like today we'll find out. We'll find out today if you love me. What will you do when you go back to your boss? He said, we'll find out today. Jim, do you love me? 
Do you love me? Verse 15, it was, just, it was not only ringing in my ears, it was ringing in the deepest part of my soul. Jesus says, Jim, do, do you love me? I bet some of you have been there. So let me ask you, do you love Christ? Do you love Christ to obey Him? To obey Him when it gets really, 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 really hard and the fear wells up and Satan's attacking and uh, all the circumstance looks bad. Do you love Him then? Do you love Him? It's hard. But Jesus is saying, He's going to give us all these reasons to obey. And we've got all this encouragement coming in these next few verses. So do you love Christ? You remember what Jesus said in Luke 46. He was, he was, he was speaking to all the people that were following Him, all the multitudes that were following Him in a very superficial way. You know, they just liked the bread and the miracles and stuff. Remember what Jesus said? He said, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? This is important. This is a big deal. Okay? This text, this text is a big deal. It's a big, obedience is a big deal to God. It's a big deal to God. Okay, verses 16 and 17, we're going to see some staggering promises. And as I've said to you before, these are like promises that if God wasn't telling me these things, I would not believe them. I would never believe them. If I didn't read them in the Bible, if God weren't saying these things to me, I would never believe them. I mean, many times in the Scriptures I, I'll get to that place. But listen to what he says. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not behold Him or know Him. But you know Him, because He abides with you and will be in you. This is an unbelievable thing, friends. Did you hear what he said? The Holy Spirit of God will abide with you and be in you. Did you hear that? I'm constantly amazed at how matter-of-factly many in the professing church treat this truth. Jesus says the Spirit of God's going to live in the Christian. That's what he's saying. The Spirit of God's going to live in the Christian. And this is an astonishing truth. It's not merely good liturgy and good doctrine. This is what Jesus says. And I love, and I don't really understand this, and I can't parse it for you, and I can't explain it for you, but I love what John Piper says. He says, if we're understanding our Bibles right, there'll be many times God will simply blow your mind. And friends, if you think about the eternal, holy, awesome, infinite, glorious, majestic God the Spirit of that God coming in and taking up residence in us and living in us. Is that not an awesome thing? Is that not an awesome thing? How, let me ask you this. Does it seem reasonable that the Holy Spirit of God could come and live within a Christian and that Christian not change? Is that conceivable at all? And yet we see this so many times in, in the professed church. We see so many who, who profess to come to Christ and their life never changes. Friends, if God comes in... Trust me, <laughs> right? There's going to be a change. There's going to be a radical change when God comes in. God has taken up residence. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Right? Galatians 6.15. True Christians, Paul says, are a new creation. Friends, if we are in Christ, we are new we are different. We are indwelt by the Spirit of God. This is part of the miracle of conversion that we were talking about last week. 
True conversion is not just simply mentally agreeing with facts and going through a nice religious ceremony. That's not true conversion. True conversion is when the Spirit of God comes in and everything changes. Right? That's, that's biblical conversion. That's what it means to be born again. As Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3. I want to make two comments about two words here. Uh, in verse 16, Jesus says, He will give you another helper. And I want to, I want to comment, I want to give you some insights here because I think, I think they're important. The, the, I want to give you some insights on the Greek here and what the Greek says about the word uh, that's translated another and the word that's translated helper. First, the word that's translated another. This means something very, very specific. There are several Greek words that could have been used, but this means very specifically that God, that the Lord Jesus is going to send an identical helper. It's not some low-level lackey that Christ is going to send. Christ is going to send someone just like Him. I want you to understand that. God the Son is leaving, but God the Spirit is coming. Okay? He's not going to dispatch some subordinate. The Holy Spirit of God is coming. Okay? I want you to understand that. Identical. Identical to the Lord Jesus. Another member of the Godhead. The other thing I want to show you is the second, the second term is, uh, is helper. Uh, the literal meaning here is one who comes alongside. Okay? It just means one who comes alongside. Most English translations will say a comforter or helper. There are a few translations that, that read it counselor. There's one that reads advocate. And the Holy Spirit is all of these things to the Christian. And I'm parked under my tree in my little Datsun. And God says, I am in you. And I am for you. Go do what you know I want you to do. You have all the power. You have all the courage. You have all the faith. I am in you. Go do it. Right? You have unlimited resources in me. I am. Am in you. Look what Jesus says. Jesus says the world's going to reject, verse 17, the world is going to reject the Spirit of God. It cannot receive the Spirit of God. And the Lord expounds on this in 1 Corinthians 2.14 where Paul writes, The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. James 4.4 tells us that the world has made itself an enemy against God, okay? And, and uh, Paul talks a little bit more about it in Romans 8. I'm just going to read to you very briefly, Romans 8, 5 through 9. Listen to what Paul writes. For those who are, in, who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is, get this, hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Okay? You see the, you see the, the importance there? Jesus says the world will not receive the Spirit, the world refuses God, the world is hostile against God, the world will not, the unbelieving world will not receive 
the Spirit of God. That's what Jesus is saying. Look at verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I love this. He's repeating basically the same promise he gave us over in verse 3 when he said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you and I'll come again for you and I'll take you with me. He says, you are not orphans. You are my brothers and sisters. You are the adopted sons and daughters of God. You are mine. I will come back for you. Okay? You are mine and I will come back to you. And okay, okay, you got to picture me. I'm sitting, I'm, here, here I am. I'm sitting in my little, my little 310 hatchback and I'm under that shade tree and God is pumping me up, man. <laughs> right? He's just filling me up. And He says, He's saying to me, Jim, you're not an orphan. in Isaiah God basically says who are you to fear when I have made my promise to you Friends, we, need to, we need to believe these things we need, we need to be living these things God says Jim you're an adopted son of mine you go and act like it right you go and act like it who are you to fear when I have given you my promise the Lord says look at verse 19 after a little while, the world will behold me no more, but you will behold me because I live, you shall live also. Jesus is simply saying that after his death, the world will no longer behold him, but the disciples and all those who believe will behold him. Okay? Through the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit quickens us and opens our minds and enables us to receive truth. That's what Jesus is saying. Look at verse 20. In that day you shall know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Okay. <laughs> You've heard me say this before, but this is in, like one of, this is in the, the, the category of too awesome to speculate. Okay. Listen to, what, listen to what he says. Listen to these words, verse 20. In that day you shall know that I am in my Father, you are in me and I am in you. Do you get it? Do you get the, the spiritual unity of God and His redeemed child? This is, a, this is a, a truth that permeates the New Testament. John 17, 21. I can't wait to get to John 17. It's, it's incredible. Uh, Jesus says we, that, that, that the Christian is in the Father and in the Son. Romans 8, 1. 1 Corinthians 1, 30. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that we are in Christ. Okay? Galatians 2, 20. Colossians uh, 127 says that Christ is in us. Friends, there's a great mystery here. It's a great mystery here. And I, and I heard a theologian say one time, with great humility, with no intent to blaspheme or be sacrilegious in any way, but he's just simply trying to deal with these verses that says somehow, mysteriously, the believer's caught up in God. He said this. He said, the believer is almost... He's not, but the believer is almost the fourth member of the Trinity. Now, I want you to understand. The, the, I want you to read these verses. We are mysterious. We're never divine. Don't misunderstand. We don't become divine. We never become divine. We are always creatures. We're redeemed creatures. But somehow, we're caught up in God. And we'll taste, you know, we talked about this. We'll taste His glory. We'll be enveloped in it. We'll delight in it and rejoice in it. I, I'm not going to try to parse this because I, I can't. 
Friends, this is just for you to worship about, right? This is not for us to parse and try to get it to a fine point and fully understand. This is for us to believe and obey and rejoice in. In some mysterious way, we, we will be caught up in the fullness of God. And God, again, I'm sitting, uh, there I am in, the th- in my 310 hatchback, and God is saying, Jim, do you understand who you are? You're mine. You're mine. You are in me, and I am in you. This is what the Bible says. <laughs> I don't know why the whole world is not running to come to Christ. Okay? I understand the theological reasons, but when it comes down to it, it's like, I, I don't understand. It's just, it's, the, the gospel is so, is so beautiful, and it's so awesome. So I'm pretty jacked up, okay? But then, verse 21 slams it for me. I'm done when I hit to verse 21. Listen to this. I love this verse. This is one of my most favorite verses in all the Bible. Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them... He it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Do you see why we should obey God? Do you see the promise of God right there in verse 21? For those who will, who will obey Him, what does your Bible say? If you obey Him, what will happen? What will God do? What does your Bible say? He what? He will show Himself to you. Friends, do you want God? Do you want to see Him? Do you want to see His glory? Do you want Him to be real in your life? Jesus says, Obey Him. So simple. You don't have to go on a pilgrimage. You don't have to climb a mountain. You don't have to thrash yourself. Obey Christ. That's it. Obey Christ. And God says this awesome thing. God says, I will come to you. I will give myself to you. I will disclose myself to you. Friends, this this is how God changed me that day. Because I thought I should obey because I'm a Christian, because I'm a good boy, I'm a religious man, I'm a do-gooder, right? I'm I'm I gotta I gotta look good in front of everybody at the church. You know, I had all I ought to, I should, I had all these reasons. But God says, no. Those are all subordinate to this reason. You obey me, and I'm coming to you, and I'm going to reveal my glory to you. That's an awesome thing. Does that not, let me ask you, does that, does that, the thought of that not excite your mind and your heart and your soul? God says, I will make myself known and plain to you. Not that we're ever going to fully understand him, but he's going to show us his glory. I think it's awesome, okay? So I'm sitting there in my 310 hatchback. And God says, go back, tell your boss you're not going to do anything illegal. And he said, you know what, Jim? I'm big enough to take care of you. I'm big enough to take care of your wife, your two kids, your dog, your cat, and your two finches. Don't worry about it. Okay? This is what the Lord is saying to me. And, And the second thing he said to me is, he says, go put your love on display. Go put your love for me on display. Let your boss see that I'm famous. Let your boss see that I'm really God because you're going to obey me in this situation. You're not going to cower in fear. You're not going to be afraid to lose your job. You're going to stand there like a son of God and you're going to say no. He's saying go do it. Make me famous in your boss's life. And that's what we've been talking about in Hebrews 11. Make me famous in your company's 
in, in, in your company. Friends, that's what the opportunity is for us to do, right? When we stand, when we stand and we obey, Jesus is made famous by our obedience. And then this third thing, as I said, we get God. When we obey, we get God. We get more of God. So I went back to the office, and you know the story. I shared it with you before, but I told my boss, no. He said, you're out of here. I said, okay. And within seven days, I had a far better job with a far better career path, with a far better company. But I want us to always understand, when we obey, sometimes God doesn't immediately bless our temporal circumstances. Sometimes Christians obey and suffer, right? Sometimes God immediately delivers, which He did in this particular case for me. And sometimes we stay in difficult, we stay in difficult circumstances. That's God's prerogative. That's one thing we learned in Hebrews 11. We're to obey God and trust Him with all the consequences, right? If, we're, if, if the consequences are good, we're standing on the rock. If the consequences are tough, if they're hard, we're standing on the rock. So, why does the maturing Christian obey? Because we ought to, or because we should, or because we're good little religious people? <laughs> no. We obey because we love Jesus Christ, and we want more. That's why the maturing Christian obeys. I love Jesus Christ and I want more. That's why the Christian obeys. And that's what Jesus is encouraging his men with tonight. He's saying, men, oh, men believe me and obey me and you're going to get more of me. And I have to tell you, from that day forward, you know, and I've had other days like this, and I'm sure you could give testimony too, but from that day forward I was profoundly changed. Okay? And as C.S. Lewis says, the, 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 the way to grow in your faith is to exercise it. Right? We've got to go actually do it. Right? And we don't just do it in here. The hard work is out there. Right? It's, the hard work is out there. So if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, all these awesome promises are not for you. Okay? But they could be. They could be. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, uh, if you desire to repent from your sins and to turn to Christ as your Lord and Savior, then these promises, these awesome promises of God can be yours. And now for the Christian, I want to say to you, uh, these promises of John 14, they are for you and they are your license to radically obey Christ. Okay? How, how did we say it the first year? To obey Christ with what? Does anybody remember? Ah, obey Christ with glad, reckless joy. Here is your license, okay, to do that. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. I am God. There is, no, there is no other. I love you. You are mine. Nothing can separate you from me. No one can touch you. You are mine. I, have, I will hear every prayer. I will give you my spirit. I will be in you. You will be in me. Obey me fearlessly, God says. And I will perpetually disclose myself to you. What an awesome 
friends, I want you to claim it for yourself. All you here tonight that are Christians, I want you to go out in the world and claim that promise. God will blow your mind. He will. <laughs> he will. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, thank you for these awesome words. Thank you, Father. What an awesome God. A God who has set his heart on rebellious sinners. A God who, who comes in the flesh and condescends to be nailed to a tree to redeem us from, uh, our, from death and sin. And, and, and then a God who comes by his Spirit and, and indwells us and enables us and emboldens us. Lord, what an awesome God you are. We're here to proclaim your glory and to confess that there is no God like Jehovah. There is no God like Jehovah. Father, we praise you and we love you. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to take communion and we have open communion here and all who have professed Christ as Lord and Savior and followed Him in baptism are welcome to partake uh, of communion here. Uh, the way we do this, I'm going to play a song. The song's about five minutes long. And uh, uh, prepare your heart. And uh, when you're ready, come up, partake of the elements, and then go back to your seat and uh, wait for the song to end. I'll read a scripture and then we'll, we'll partake of the elements. Okay?